Hello and welcome to episode 16 of my podcast, What Most People Think. It is me, Jeff Norcott. That's right, stand-up comedian and shockingly a conservative and leave voter, apparently. That makes me exotic in this game. So if it's the first time that you're listening, my podcast is coming to you from that incredible position of uh, position that a hell of a lot of people have. So I have just got back from a couple of days in Ibiza. Me and my missus finally made it out there and we did it we did it very middle aged. We went out the first night and we were we stayed out till three AM. That's shocking, isn't it? And then the next night we went to bed at eight PM and slept till eleven AM and then flew home. That that's what you call a middle aged carve up in Ibiza. We watched a film in the hotel room. It's pretty rock and roll, but uh, but it was nice to get away. Um, so it, on the podcast this week, it is just me. Now, first up, I know when it's just me, but less people fucking listen. Do you know how hurtful that is as I sit and I go through the numbers and look back at all the podcasts and realise all the ones where it was me got less people listening. We do have a guest this week, and the guest is you and me. We're having a chat. I just feel like sometimes, you know, I don't feel like we get to catch up these days, but... Um, I've got big news coming up um, regarding the tour, so stay tuned for that. I mean, I'll tell you now, it's uh, it's extending. There's going to be more dates in places so that people can then say to me, but why the fuck aren't you coming to this place? Um, But I will hopefully cover some of the places that we didn't go in the autumn, but I'll let you know more about that a bit later. Um, Thank you to everybody that shared the latest clip uh, from the MASH report on Twitter and on Facebook, uh, where I was basically having a dig at Labour's so-called Brexit position. Um, but actually, let's do the thank you and fuck you now, um, because thank you first up to the people that, that shared the clip, and, and fuck you to the people that were saying, well, God, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't have a go at the other side, does he? He's only having a go at Labour. And I'm thinking, have you seen that show? Do you not think that, that, that having a dig at the Conservatives is, is well and truly covered elsewhere uh, in the show? But it was, nice, it was nice to climb into that. And we'll be speaking more about Labour uh, coming up later in the show. Uh, just first up, before we crack on, I just want to get like a petty grievance off my chest. Um, what, what, what is it with human beings finding and taking their seat on a train or plane? Why is that so difficult? Why does it take so long you know i mean i know that there's sort of limited space more of an issue on planes trains there's less of an excuse trains you just get to see the you just get to see the worst of people i think and how and how shit really did you know if stuff did get apocalyptic how the main issue would be idiots you'd die you wouldn't die because of like the fucking tsunami do you know what i mean you wouldn't die because of the hurricane you'd die because of people just hesitating <laughs> just standing in there without a fucking clue evidently of what to do next i don't understand why it takes so long for people to take their seats and i've got to be honest like old people bless them but i was on a i'm gonna say something brutal now i was on a train carriage the other day and uh there was there was so many old people on it i upgraded to first class i just thought i can't handle this because i knew i knew what the journey would be like I needed, I needed to get some work done. They all had their fucking picnics out and their flasks out on the table and there was about 16 of them. They all knew each other and I just thought, I can't handle this. Not today. So, you know, look, I respect respect my elders to a degree, but I'm also conscious 
of, of who they are and how confusing they find. I mean, one of them fucking, you know, it took them 14 minutes to work out the the door locking mechanism on the toilet. And I thought, I just cannot. I took the hit, you know. I don't, you know, it's not it's not cheap to travel in first class, but sometimes you, you've got to do these things um, for your mental health. I, d- I just don't understand why it takes people so long to sit down. And then you get these pricks, right, on trains that, that have sat in someone else's seat and because their seat's taken. You get that one? Where you go, uh, excuse me, I'm in, I'm in E46. And they go, oh, well, well someone's sitting in my seat. I'm like, oh, right, because you didn't have the fucking balls to stand up for yourself. Now, what, this, this shit has got to roll downhill? I'm afraid not, Nancy. Uh, she was an old woman as well. Um, look, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to get into just bullying old people. It is fucking tempting, though. It is tempting. But uh, but let's crack on with the show. First up, we're going to be looking at well everything that's happened politically since the last time that we spoke. Okay. So, of course, Parliament was prorogued. Yet another one of these words that we've had to learn because of Brexit... <laughs> You know, we've had vassal state, you know, we've had uh, indicative votes. I don't know, indicative votes was quite obvious what that meant. You didn't really have to learn. You just had to know what the word indicative and vote meant. Um, so we had prorogation, and in the midst of all that, Labour started their conference. And I've got to say, I was loving it. I was loving every minute of the Labour conference, because I think that what we need with Labour is every once in a while, they have to remind the rest of the country... What a bunch of fucking nutters some of them are, right? So they were they were coming they were coming in hard with some uh, policies. Abolish private schools. That was one. Just abolish. Well, abolish Eton, which sort of kind of showed their hand to a degree. It was more the symbolic element of it that appealed to them than the actual sort of technicalities of how private schools work. And I saw uh, John McDonnell was on the radio. After it, and uh, he's speaking to Nicky Campbell. And Nicky Campbell said to him, "Well, if you abolish private schools, what happens with all those people who 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 are saving money on fees, and they just start buying up even more properties in the catchment area around schools?" And John McDonnell just clearly hadn't thought that through. I mean, it's not like rich people just suddenly don't have that money. Can you imagine? Like, it, it clearly. I mean, John McDonnell, for for all the issues I have with him, he's quite a bright guy. You know, he's quite switched on. He he hadn't fucking war gamed. The situation, just they're all sitting there getting fucking semi-erections over the idea that Eton might not exist. They haven't actually thought, what would be the consequences of suddenly lobbing loads of loads of posh lads in a pri- into comps? Because, I mean, the bullying, for one, the bullying would be off the scale, wouldn't it? Can you, can you imagine the bullying, like, just a, the modern-day Jacob Rees-Mogg suddenly rocking up in, like, the West Wirral Comprehensive getting absolutely battered for wearing a cummerbund <laughs> to, into the school canteen. Can you imagine the arse kickings that would happen as all those posh lads suddenly, get, you know, they go from like having seven to a class to having 30 to a class. Just get out. It would be savage. It would be savage. And I'm not, you know, I'm, I, it's, look, I, I personally don't like the idea of the state intervening in people's right to have their children taught as they wish right but also understand the iniquities created by the private school system so if you're gonna suggest something as radical as abolishing it then i really want to know that you fought through all the consequences and another consequence i didn't think through was the um 
the the amount of uh, students that come from private schools that do you know like physics law medicine there wouldn't actually be uh, enough students to take those places at university so the university system could suddenly be under the uh, at risk of immediate financial collapse but this is one of the problems with the hard left is that they often go for policies that make them feel good you know it feels good to say that doesn't it abolish eating yeah abolish eating what about what about the consequences but eating will be abolished yeah um yeah there was some some mad stuff coming out about the way that the the labor membership see the world you know that the way that they viewed the British government as being responsible for IRA atrocities. You know, like a majority of Labour members do that. And it's so weird that they would think that, given that their leadership is Jeremy Corbyn and John McDonough. It's so odd that they would essentially strike a sympathetic note with terrorists. Where's that coming from? I don't know, man. I don't know. It's it's funky. Um, but there's a lot of policies that, that you know, John, John McDonnell is a proper radical, right? So one of the other things that he spoke about in the lead up to conference was the idea that right to buy should be extended to, um, you know, private tenants. So, you know, if you if you own a flat and someone lives there for 10 years, then they should have the right to buy that flat off you. And get this. Here's the catch. At a price agreed by. Guess who? You're never going to guess this. The government. Because <laughs> when did the government ever get pricing wrong or just no, not know fuck all about a sphere in which they're not intuitively professionally involved? The government. The government are going to decide. So so doesn't matter how... And this is one of the problems with, with Labour, the way they've started to view private landlords, right? Is It's just another one of these bogeymen, isn't it? You know, whether it's, it's the bankers, man. And now it's private landlords. Now, the problem with private landlords is it goes right from um, people, you know, people with a portfolio of property, some, yeah, that are, like, harsh. Some people that are, you know, essentially stealing deposits off students. But then a hell of a lot of it is just people sort of on middle sort of incomes that... Just, you know, just wanted a little nest egg. <laughs> they're getting demonised, you know what I mean? Like they're fucking Gordon Gecko or something. And then, you know, because the, the thing is, the Conservative government have, have already made it. You know, they've taken away uh, interest relief uh, on mortgage payments and stuff like that. They've already made it a lot less profitable to be a private landlord. But but the Labour Party want to go further. They want to they wanna introduce right to buy. So imagine that. So say, you're, say, you're, say your parents, right? They did okay, do you know what I mean? Their typical parents of their era got married at like fucking four or whatever it was. You know, they just worked hard. The early bit of their lives was miserable and then, you know, they became baby boomers and they became a bit arrogant. You know, when it started going on better holidays than you um, and then they bought a property, right? And they thought, oh, this will be an investment, do you know what I mean? And, and so they've just got this one property and then someone that lives there just says, oh, I, I want to buy this. And you go, okay, well... I think okay. Well, let's let's talk about a price, and then the government go, and I will decide that. Um, there was also the incident at at conference with Emily Formbury, who who did a bizarre speech, like a little stand up turn. She does seem to sort of savour doing a little turn, you know, at conference. She's not one of those people who'd be like you, you must work for a company, right? Where there's the Christmas do, and then like one of your line managers that fancies themselves as a bit of a comedian, the sort of David Brent, you know, they just their whole fucking year focuses round you know just stretching their legs 
creatively, just doing a bit of on-stage banter. So she 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 had this bizarre story where she was um, recalling being hit on the head. Let's have a quick listen to it now. But it, see if you agree with me that at the end, she seems to imply that she's done hard drugs. <laughs> when I got knocked off my bike by a black cab in July, I was lying in a gutter near Westminster Central Hall after my head had crashed into the pavement and my life was flashing before my eyes. On which note... I'd say, incidentally, don't knock it till you tried it. There were a couple of moments from my youth that I'd forgotten about where I thought, ooh, <laughs> blimey, <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> and it wasn't running through fields a week, comrades. <laughs> and it wasn't running through fields a week, comrades. <laughs> What the fuck is she talking about? She Now, obviously, you're only hearing this in audio, so I'd advise you to go and look at the speech itself. But she sort of taps her nose shortly after saying that. It wasn't running through fields of wheat, comrades. She sort of seems to be saying, I did, a, I did a bit of Charlie, comrades. And I think that, you know, using the word comrades, let's, let's talk about, you know, the cocaine trade, Emily. Um, I'm not sure implying a hard left Labour conference, you know, the devastation that cocaine has brought, you know, it's brought a, good, a few good nights elsewhere, but the devastation that it's brought to impoverished communities in South America. I don't know, I don't know where she gets up. She's um, she's quite a loose cannon, Emily Thornbury. The thing is, though, she's on that front bench with Corbyn, McDonnell, Abbott and Thornbury. So, like, she actually seems like the sensible one, but she's sort of not. It's just, it's relative. Um, while we're at it, Diane Abbott, at um, PMQs, fucking, she delivers. Like if she was like, um, if she was a comedy act, right? You, that would just be her hitting her catchphrase, wouldn't it? That she, that she, <laughs> firstly didn't ask a question in her first question, and then exceeded her six questions. I mean, this this is the problem with Labour's. They they come across as a bit of a shower sometimes. Um, this also happened at conference where they had their vote on whether or not Labour were going to take uh, a hardcore Remain position, right? And so they did it on a show of hands in the room, which I think seems a bit uh, random. And initially, um, the lady sort of chairing it said, "Oh, you know, the the motion for Remain has carried." And then. And then this lady, Jenny Formby, to her left interrupted. And she went, oh, no, 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 uh, hang on. Uh, Jen, Jenny said something else. It's an immortal line in British political history is that something was overturned because Jenny said something else. And then, then I thought maybe, like, maybe the, the Jenny is like, is like a joker that you can play. Maybe I was thinking Jenny was a real person, but maybe it's just like a card that you turn over when you've got a really, when you've got a really difficult dilemma to solve right you just play the jenny you just play the jenny so you go like you know which came first chicken chicken or the egg i I don't know you just play the jenny turns out it was definitely the egg people might go but what what about the science don't worry about the science look i just played the jenny the jenny formby the jenny formby now sounds like an instrument as well um, so Labour, yeah, they, the the Liberal left of their membership were all desperately hoping that they were going to come out in hard favour of Remain. But of course they did. They played to type in what they always do, which is that they back, oh, Jeremy Corbyn. They fucking, um, they chanted his name. 
they chanted his name. So the so as Labour conference was going on, Corbyn uh, Corbyn came on stage and announced the Supreme Court judge ruling, and uh, they celebrated it like they did it. It was astonishing. They just took to, took total credit for it, and then had another little chant of old Jeremy Corbyn. There, look, there he is, Jeremy. He's been he's on the right side of history again. If there if there's ever been a moment in history where there's a right side, you bet your ass Jeremy was on it. And by on the right side of history, I mean just alive when something good happened. You know, he's like, he's like, a, you know when they say about scientists, they say in disaster movies, there was always, in a disaster movie, you'd always find a scientist being ignored. I always say, and, and also in, in, in films, you know, terrifying films, you'll often find a scientist being listened to, okay? Who built the Death Star? Scientist, Yeah. Who, who reanimated dinosaurs in Jurassic Park, scientist. So I think this also applies in a weird way to Jeremy Corbyn. There are obvious times where he has been on the wrong side of history, but they just, it's just built up this mystique about him. Like, like the, you know that picture of Corbyn where he's um, campaigning against apartheid and it literally looks like he was the one guy in London doing it at that time, as though there wasn't like a fucking free Man- Nelson Mandela concert. Um, but yeah, they, they are still. I was amazed to see. Like, I, th- I thought that the membership would perhaps be sobering up. I mean, I said this on the Mash Report, right? Is that his whole life is about getting rid of the Tories? Yeah. Now it's quite obvious at this point that if he fucked off, there'd be a, a better chance of getting rid of the Tories. But but he, I thought he was nice and humble. But he's he he wants to. It's the problem with the Labour Party is that they, they're more worried, the hard left, about who controls the party than who controls the country, you know? So they're, just still, they're still squabbling about stuff. They, they were, somebody they tried a botched uh, coup against Tom Watson. It's all about the coups at the moment. We have got coups, coups going on left, right. Coups, coups. <laughs> it's all, that's a middle-class coup. So the Supreme Court judge ruling was uh, 11-0. You know, it's 11-0. It's kind of fucking weird that, um, you know, it got through a couple of other courts. and But it got to when it got to the Supreme Court judge ruling, 11-0. I don't remember an 11-0. The only time I remember 11-0s were um, when I was playing, like, junior football. You'd have quite a few 11-0s then. That's the only other time that I... Um, I mean, it was like watching Britain at Eurovision. You know what I mean? Like, there was no love in that room for uh, Boris's prorogation and not only, not only was there no love for it it was then said that, that it didn't even happen like it wasn't like oh we've reversed it it was like they're like what prorogation there, there wasn't a prorogation and um, and then they all had to they all had to fucking turn back up to work didn't they it was like it must have felt like having a snow day reversed do you know what I mean like you just think, oh, I've got a bit of time here. And they had to make out as well. Like, I don't care how Remain or how fucking left-wing you are. You're having a jolly up at conference. And then you're told, right, you've got to get back to the House of Commons to shout at each other. But they're all like, yeah, I can't wait to get back. Get back and do some more democracy. But anyway, they, they, uh, they, they went back to work and shouted at each other for a day. And made us all wonder why the fuck they went back. They just shouted at each other. So first up was Jeffrey Cox, the uh, Attorney General, got up. Now, I must say, I, I enjoyed his performance because, well, he speaks like this. And he's got one of those voices. Um, so deep and sonorous. And you can get lost, you know, in it. I mean, like, he, 
He, I think if he'd been Prime Minister, I, I think we'd have all done what he said because he's so fucking persuasive. Um, and he he turned on the Labour front bench after a while. So he'd had all these questions about his role in the legal advice. And then he turned, <laughs> he turned on the front bench and went, and these spineless cowards! <laughs> he it went a bit Brian Blessed at that point. And I loved it. I would say I loved it. I, I, I you know, I was, I was dry, I was sitting in my car. I actually pulled over um, just to listen to it. And this, this is the two things this summer that that really stopped me in my tracks have been Test cricket uh, and and politics. Really, they've just been the most dramatic things. And and then then it got you know then they carried on debating and then and then like sort of like the left and right. I think became like cartoon versions of themselves. So the right was all brain and shut up and uh, humbug and the left was all like emotions, emotions and crying and fucking weeping. Um, and yeah, and then it became an issue, wasn't it? That, that we, and I don't, I don't think it's any great surprise that, that, that when Parliament was essentially prorogued because it had become a stalemate, right? Like Jeffrey Cox says, this is a dead parliament. So when it went back to work, it was still a stalemate. So instead of instead of actually talking about what they were going to do, they could only talk about what they were talking about and how they were talking about it. And I thought it was fucking bizarre the following day to spend so much time talking about the tone of debate. Like we go, um, there is you know another deadline coming up. I'm not that fussed about whether someone you know used uh, insensitive language or. I mean, I was in Northern Ireland, right? I did a gig in Belfast. First up, thanks to everybody that came to that. And uh, and I got to say, you know, they weren't the, hearing the word surrender in their political discourse wasn't that much of a shock to them. So where does all of this leave us, right? Because it, it, things change so quickly, you forget what the old realities were. And for a long time, the Remain camp was sort of saying it was, you know, it was a, it was a second referendum or a general election. But the, the truth now is that they're worried about a general election because it might return a Boris majority, right? They know that, realistically, morally, if you had a second referendum, that you would have to you would have to include no deal as an option in some way, and they're shit scared that the British public would actually vote for that. So this argument that's been around for some time, that, you know, it's, it's, not, about, it's not about subverting democracy, it's about more democracy. They've gone literally right from, you know, let's put it back, to the, to the 36 million adult voters or whatever it is or more. Let's, let's put it back to those people. And now they've gone back to actually, let, let's just do it through judges. Let's do it through, let's 11-0 this motherfucker. To tell you something, right, just, just what I'm thinking about it, about freedom of movement. Now, I know that Priti Patel gave a speech in which she, uh, she talks about freedom of movement ended and she did look like she'd just... Uh, like she'd just done a fucking Rubik's Cube in two seconds or something. She looked pretty pleased with herself. And it went up people's asses sideways that she was saying freedom of movement should end. Um, do you know who else was saying freedom of movement should end? Until not that long ago, actually. Jeremy fucking Corbyn. You know? he, The Labour Party's position was that freedom of movement would end. Because it was a part of leaving the single market. But I guess... So it comes down to, again, doesn't it, with modern politics is... Well, it's not what you said, it's how you said it. <laughs> well, it's the words that you used. It was the intonation. So, yeah, the, uh, the EU are currently considering Boris's latest offer. And, but by considering, what that means is they've, they've become aware quite belatedly, you know, because they were quite high-handed in the early stages. They've gone, oh, actually, we do seem a bit fucking supercilious here. So let's, let's pretend that there's any chance that we would 
that we would uh, move on any of these issues. Let's just give it a while. Let's run down the clock some more. We've got friends in Britain. Do you know what I mean? We could just, uh, we can sit on this. We can sit on this. We'll join you in the corner flag. This is like a, a Champions League game where the, the fucking, <laughs> almost, all, almost all of the 22 players are, are in the corner flag, just hustled around there. Everyone's, everyone's trying to run out the clock. That's what's happening. I've been struggling to work out what's happening here. You've got three teams. You've got three football teams on a pitch, right? And they're all trying to run down the clock because they all think that they're winning. How fucking mental is that? And honestly, if you don't think at this point that the EU are in any way to blame for for the current situation, then that's mad, isn't it? You know, this big, powerful organisation that could have given certain concessions at certain times. Everybody's overplayed their hand at this point, right? The Remainers thought they could affect full Remain, right? The, the ERG thought they could get their pure Brexit. The EU thought they could kind of manoeuvre to a point where Remain happened. And here we all are, right? Fucking 33 football players gathered around a corner flag, all trying to shield the ball because they think the clock is on their side. What an absolute clusterfuck. Okay, so that was quite a long one there on the old politics there, but I thought it was good to, um, yeah, just just finally come to a view of what I think is happening, and nothing is happening, and I've got no fucking idea what's going to happen next. Uh, just a quick plug uh, for a few tour dates. A couple that I haven't mentioned as much is... Um, I'm at Southport on uh, Saturday the 19th of October at the Vincent Hotel. That's a fucking strange name for a hotel, the Vincent Hotel. And that's on the Saturday the 19th of October. Then on the Saturday, Friday the 25th of October, I'm at the Stand in Newcastle. But it's at 6.30. I have no... That's a fucking weird one. It's selling all right. Um, but I don't fucking know why it says fucking 6.30. Is that because... The locals will be so pissed up from having worked at the fucking pits, right? <laughs> I don't even know if Newcastle had, but it probably had pits. It seems like a pit having town. So that's what fucking happens. They come out with pits and that. You've got to keep the natives off the fucking ill. Did you ever see Game of Thrones? There's a Geordie guy in Game of Thrones. I fucking love a Geordie accent, right? I do. He just pops up there. He's, uh, he's the assistant of Stannis Baratheon. But because uh, of his Geordie accent, I always feel like he's going to mention something about football. Stanith, we cannot attack Westeros because you haven't got anybody on the fucking left wing leg. Um, there's uh, another date in York, Saturday, October the 26th. That's nearly sold out, I think. Uh, Sunday, the 27th of October, Aberdeen. It's uh, I could do with a few more sales there. In a bizarre twist of fate, an English Tory in Aberdeen on a Sunday night isn't selling uh, the best of the tour. But there's some people there could do with more. Uh, and then, yeah, a lot of the rest of them. Uh, Saturday, the 2nd of November, at the um, Nuffield Theatre in Campus something in Southampton uh, that one's that one's really kicked on but it's a big old room there there's 500 people I think we're up to about nearly 300 now so it'll be good to have some of you, you saints down there you, you Southamptonese you don't have an accent I'm sorry I've, I've said this before I don't um, Southampton I don't know it's a bit a little bit West Country but um, but you come and tell me you come and heckle me in your accent and that way I'll never forget okay now uh, we're going to be going on uh, to do some letters okay so first letter we've got um, this week is from Harry in Tottenham I just immediately think that that's Harry Redknapp um, my son has started coming in when I'm watching telly and turning it over he's 14 do I need to squash this well, fucking yeah who would just walks in and turn and turns your telly over 
Harry, I'm glad that you reached out, mate, because this this is well, this is one of those things that's bigger than it seems. I, there's something evidently that Har- your son is he called Harry Junior? I, I think that he is for some reason. It's just because you're from Tottenham and you're called Harry. I just think it's like okay, Harry Junior needs to understand that that somebody had to pay for that fucking TV. You know, you need to go like um, you need to go like Jack Nicholson in A Few Good Men. Son, what do you don't really understand is there are walls, and there are men on those walls that defend our freedoms. Um, he needs to understand that, that all the chain of command shit that goes into there being a telly that he can watch in the first place, right? You've probably got Sky, Harry, I'm imagining. You like your Sky Sports, 80 live games a season, you know, whatever it is now, probably a lot less now. You've got to get fucking BT and Netflix. You've got to get 17 other channels. You work hard, Harry. Yeah, this this little shit. What's he doing? You know, first year of GCSEs and wanking. That's what he's doing, Harry. Yeah, and anyway, he thinks he can come in while you're watching a documentary about the Second World War, probably. And, and you know, this is this is a vital life lesson. This is um, this is the first stage. I can remember when I was fourteen. You know, you you filled out a bit as a lad. You're rocking your first uh, your first pubes, right? There's a lot of confidence that goes with that. <laughs> those early pubes especially if you're sprouting them early you know maybe he's got maybe he's got maybe he's got a full spread now I realise I'm talking about your son's pubes now Harry I'm sorry about this but I'm trying to look at the source of where this confidence is coming from on the other hand it is kind of incredible that he even wants to watch television with you given as we know that all these kids essentially want to watch fucking dickheads on YouTube giving them advice on how to trim their fucking eyebrows so um, anyway, that's how I see it. Maybe it's more complex than that. So it's an important moment, you know. He, I think he needs to make representations to you about what he wants to watch, right? Is he, is he quite a surly teenager? You know, because you come in, you're fucking working, Harry. You know what I mean? What's he doing? Although, having said that, at GCSE age, I do, I do, I do think we forget how, you know, when you're a kid doing four or five different subjects a day can really mangle your mind. We sort of gloss over that, don't we? You know, they have kids have four or five school periods a day. They do history, drama, French, English, and then fucking geography. Do you think, like, once you hit, once you hit middle age, that your, your brain could U-turn <laughs> into any of that shit? You think of how long, like... I don't know about you, but when, these days, when I, get a, um, when I get a new phone, I have to set aside, like, half a day for that. You know what I mean? To to familiarise myself with the software, I need a sort of steady stream of caffeine just to fuel this uh, new cognitive process that I'm undertaking. So, uh, so yeah. Nonetheless, nonetheless, this is how revolutions start, Harry. You've got to go in early. You know what I mean? You've got to see the Chinese with the in Hong Kong. You you got to be early. You got to be <laughs> earlier than that. You know they've let they've let that shit brew and build. And you see what happens in the end. I would, um, I would, because uh, he must, he must have to come and grab the control. I would. Here's what I would do. I would turn the TV remote into a glove, right, that you wear. <laughs> so then he, he, it's, it sort of raises the stakes somewhat that he has to, um, he has to wrestle it off of you. He has to literally wrestle you. Let's bring it down to some pure masculine thing. He's got to wrestle you if he wants it bad enough. Yeah. Then, then, then bring it on. But then watch it because you know, fourteen, maybe he's a big lad. Fourteen, you might be able to take him. Two years later, your own son might have you fucking in a Boston crab, 
your wife comes in the fucking humiliation she she realizes that the power has changed in the household suddenly she's who who's she bringing the sandwiches to now first harry it's not you mate she's seen you she's seen you get bested by your own son so she's seen you tap out when you're in a fucking uh, a sleeper hold i don't know why i'm now envisaging your house as some sort of like wwe uh, arena but um but anyway harry i think i think it's good to reach out you're right to be worried squash that shit um what's the next letter i've got here um this is nice uh, this is tony from the west midlands who says jeff basically says he loves my work but um he saw me in birmingham and he said i've got to stop wearing skin tight black t-shirts or start dieting and working out so this is one of the great things about being a bloke as uh, i don't think women will ever i think for women to have full equality what they have to be faced with is that people because i know that women in the public get shamed about their bodies and stuff by strangers i know that that happens but i think the real thing that makes you stronger as a person is when people who like you freely call you a fat cunt i have had i've put on a bit of weight yeah i've put on a bit of weight because i've got fucking carpal tunnel in both hands and my feet don't work properly i am i am borderline blue badge at this point right so a little bit of sympathy would be nice first up tony from the west midlands but i'm working on it mate i'm working on it now one thing you'd say is maybe stop eating so much food jeff if you can't exercise and that is a very good point however kind of like food i'm in middle age what what, what other shit am i gonna strip out from my or maybe i'm just gonna make a conscious decision to be a bit fatter when people ever do people ever do that you know what i mean everyone always says it's like when people say that they, they want, oh, I want to quit smoking. Do you ever get those people that say they want to quit smoking? And you think, no, you don't. <laughs> you don't. No, I really, I really do. And there's something about the way that they say it. You think, you don't. Just, I would have more respect for you if you said, look, I fucking love smoking. I love everything about it. I love the smell. You know what I mean? I love, <laughs> I love the fact that it gets me out of work. But they, they want to maintain this artifice that they're going to do the right thing. Maybe I'm just going to settle into middle age and say, I'm going to be roughly 13 and a half stone now but I am going to eat a fair bit of KFC on the road. You know, just just be a grown-up about it and make that deal. Um, one thing I would say is that that when I'm on stage, I do, for some reason, stick my stomach out further than usual. Slightly odd reaction. You'd think you'd be nervous, you'd draw it all in, but I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sticking out like fucking, you know, like when you saw those famine. Boo! No, I'm, I'm just saying it was... Do you know the family, that kind of round belly? I, I get that going on, but mine is definitely not from malnutrition. Mine is, well, it could be the amount of KFC that I eat. Um, <laughs> it's sort of like uh, um, voluntary malnutrition, if there is such a thing. Okay, we've got another letter here. Uh, this is from John in Winchester. Should people be allowed to talk on commuter trains or make any sound whatsoever between 0600 an 0800, I like this. I think this guy was in the military. I immediately think that, the fact he's using that kind of Greenwich Mean Time clock. Between 0600 and 0800 and uh, 1800 and 1930 hours. I think I think you bring up a very good point here, John. I do find it fucking aggravating when people talk on the train. Um, and it's sometimes an issue when me and my wife travel together because she likes to have a good old chat. And I, I, I believe that there is a... There's a volume level that if you're going to talk that is polite, it should you should sound a little bit like a pervert, right? You'd just be that deep, low-level, respectful, 
I mean, the people are particularly jolly. I, I once, um, where I live, I caught the, I think it was a 7.14 train into London. And evidently, the 7.14 is a real go-to commuter. You know, it's like they all fucking knew each other. You know what I mean? One of them had bought a flask of a certain kind of coffee to share. I thought, it's just, there's something fucking alarming about people that are are that jolly in the morning. Nothing would make me more likely to, look. Like if I was... If I was in a position of power in a, an authoritarian regime to monitor people than, than that, you're on a watch list. I mean, if you're seriously on 714 on the train and you're handing out homemade biscuits, right? Fuck. Fuck. You know, and another thing as well is, is oh, oh, this is on the London Tube thing. Is it okay if I talk about the Tube, by the way? Because we're always told as comics, don't, you know, because people outside London, they don't understand what the Tube is. They, you say the Tube, the underground, they, what, what do you mean? I'm going to put it to trust that you might be able to envisage what happens on the tube, right? But quite often what you have is you have couples that live in London and stuff. They've got up together. They've showered together. And then, like, they get fucking horny with each other. You know, you can, they're just pressed against each other and you can just see they start snogging. That is, that is fucking unacceptable, yeah? That is. Especially for all, all the people that are in middle age where, you know what I mean, like, they're you know, that's not happening as regularly in their life anyway. And just to see two people that are doing it on the fucking Hammersmith and City line, that's just showboating, okay? It's not fair. So I would say, John, in Winchester, that I, I, I agree. I agree. Um, I know I don't fully agree. I don't think people should not not be allowed to talk, but I think that there should be maybe like a, a noise level that you go above, a decibelage, if that's the word, where a smaller electric shock is administered, you know? you'd remember that you'd remember that if you spoke like a prick it should be called the you know like you have the the Bechdel test or something or the Rorschach test it should be called the the the, the bellend peak right and there's just a natural peak in decibelage that if you if you do that you're going to get a few volts um so the final question of this week is who would win in a political fight no so it's not this is a political fight this is not a political fight who would win in an actual fight between George Galloway and Nick Griffin? I think there's a good, two good choices there. Not because I, I actually think it's pretty clear cut who would win it, but I just think they're two interesting characters to throw together. I guess the hard, hard left and the far right. I would say this about guys on the far right is that a lot of the supporters they attract probably can fight. You know, they're often guys that maybe, you know, there's a fair few football hooligans among them reformed football hooligans maybe a few tattoos underneath those blazers but I think I think the guys that lead them are often absolute fucking wets you know what I mean like people like Nick Griffin they they sort of they want to be popular among the tough lads so they've, they've learned the rhetoric and stuff I honestly think Nick Griffin I think if you punched him he would be I think he'd piss himself before you landed a punch I think he'd be in tears like I, I just I do not get any sense that that guy <laughs> that that guy could fight at all it's the same with fucking uh, Gerard Batten as well they you know they sort of want to be they want to be king of the chavs don't they um, so I don't think Nick Griffin could fight George Galloway I think there's a lot of su- suggest George Galloway could could hold his hands up I mean he he's got that sort of build as well and I think he's just quite quite ruthless I mean if you think of George Galloway he went over to the US Senate and to call them all cunts, basically. So I think anyone that does that, I don't think it's going to make very light work of Nick Griffin. I think Nick Griffin would run, actually. I have to say, I think he would. I think it would be quite a, a spectacle. Um, 
it would be a shame. It would be a shameful spectacle. But let's say, let's say, for example, it happened uh, in in a ring. Um, I think. Do you know what I think? I think it would be George Galloway would would surprise everybody where where he'd work the body. He'd just be kidney punches, um, and, and he'd just work Nick Griffin. There'd just be one savage uh, kidney punch, and Nick Griffin would think that he was dying and stuff, but actually, he'd just never been hit like that before. And um, so, yeah, I, th- I think that we we have a winner there. And then George Galloway would obviously do the George Galloway speech after where he sort of has a... He's picked a, an accent somewhere between Scotland and the rhythm of the jihadi hostage videos. <laughs> um, so, yeah, George Galloway there. But, you know, two blokes that are, well, you know, interesting characters. Okay, as usual, at the end of the show, I do uh, read out a couple of reviews. Um, just before I do that, yeah, I did the tour. I'm doing a, an extension to my tour, the spring tour. Um, if you want to get on my mailing list, go to MailChimp and look for Jeff Norcott. Uh, you'll get first reviews on the tickets. And what that means is basically, you know what I mean? Uh, some of them do will sell out quickly, but you get to pick whichever tickets you want. And, you know, you just get you just get a bit of priority love. And you will also, if you sign up to my mailing list, you'll get a free access to view my last stand-up uh, special, Traditionalism. So that's free. You know, you might as well fucking do it. Just join the mailing list. You can do it through MailChimp or if you go to any of my YouTube videos, the mailing list link will be uh, in the details. So uh, just a quick review here from JT9000. At this point in time, what most people think strikes me as a much needed antidote to what most people say. That's good. I like the way you've you've done that. So refreshing to hear a different voice. Someone who'd call out bullshit they've done that in emojis have i got a millennial fan here this sounds like it i'm pleased uh, in in an intelligent but knowingly knuckle-headed way who said i'm knuckle-headed i don't think i'm like i think i'm a fucking jeep no you're probably right uh, excellent roster of guests demonstrate how it is possible for left and right leave and remain to respectfully constructively and hilariously challenge and ridicule each other's and often their own positions on current issues also find agreement far more often than you'd imagine listened on recommendation of my brother most recommended podcasts strike me as unlistenable dross. This one is happily so much different. Thank you. That was just a really nice review. And that is a lot of what I'm trying to achieve with this podcast. Achieve? What a fucking wanky way for me to end that. Like, I've got this real sense of mission. You know, I'm trying to, you know, with the several thousand people I have to listen to this, I'm really trying to start a movement, an activist movement. Oh, by the way, on that note, did you see, I should have mentioned this earlier, did you see the uh, Extinction Rebellion attempt to... Uh, spray the treasury in red paint what they did was they had a they had a fire engine right and were and they had loads of red paint and i suppose it's going to be like the blood that will be lost you know if we don't stop using fucking plastic straws and um but they didn't reckon with like how much upper body strength you need to hold <laughs> to, to, hold, to hold an actual like fire hose and it just like spouted off and then started just spurting out red blood all over it just looked like they'd fucking like cut a chicken's head off <laughs> the way it was rotating anyway that was that was funny extinction rebellion we're having a bit of a benny hill moment shall we say uh, uh one more here um this is it says uh, west west cambridgeshire's best comedy podcast probably how the fuck do you know i live in west cambridgeshire getting fucking stalked oh, i need a stalker though i think um you know it's good pr isn't it if they could just, you know, attack me once. Maybe milkshake me. That would be good. Um, fuck it, I'm going to get milkshake now, aren't I? If you do, can it be um, a Maltesers one? For, a crush him, actually, because at least then I'll just, you know, enjoy it. Uh, this review says, A revist 
black roll neck sporting right leaner makes you reevaluate self-regarded neoliberal posturing in this very funny odd cast. And then he has an emoji that I don't even know what it is. It's just like, looks like a, some pink thing. It looks like a fucking tumour. But anyway, thank you for that. I didn't know it was an odd cast, but I'm, you know, I'm glad that we're keeping you entertained. Uh, we will be back. I will be back in a couple of weeks with another guest this time. But I think it was nice for us to just have a chat and catch up on a few things. And uh, yeah, please you know, keep buying tickets for the tour. Keep recommending the podcast. Subscribe, like, rate, recommend, pay my fucking mortgage, take my wife out for dinner, and I'll see you next time.